It's chaos. It's a different type of Sunday scary. It's your newest obsession. It's Dirty Driving, a Formula One podcast. We're the Hornsby sisters. I'm Katie. And I'm Megan. Hello, everyone. Hello, hello. Welcome back to yet another episode of Dirty Driving. This weekend was sadly a bye weekend. So today we are deep diving. This week, our deep dive of choice is Alfa Romeo and Valtteri Bottas <laughs> and Guan Yu Zhao. We're going to get on talking all about his naked ass, but uh, today we're excited. I'm pumped. Like, I'm way more hyped about Alfa Romeo now than I think I've ever been, ever. I mean, even when they had Italian Jesus. I mean, like, we love the Italian Jesus days and the Kimi Raikkonen days, but... I was so impressed at everything I read and studied for Alfa Romeo. I'm like, are we Alfa Romeo stands now? I like would want to wear their merch, but I don't love this year's merch. And so like I want to support them, but like not in this year's merch. I want them to release like all of the camo merch. Mm-hmm. Because then I would, t- which, oh my God, I cannot believe I've just said for all of posterity that I want Alfa Romeo camo merch. Camo. She just said camo. She wants I want it. camo stuff. <laughs> that livery, I think that's, I am convinced. Like, I am. I know that months and months and they have an impressive wind tunnel and they have an impressive development program, but I am convinced that their success is tied to the fact that they had a, like a secret not so secret testing in that livery like I'm convinced that's why they're successful this year simply because of the camo I don't know it's just kind of like a power move right I think it's like an impressive like it's like a let's let's show up looking like badasses yeah let's not reveal our livery before the start of practice and testing and let's just show up with a black, white, and gray camo. And they even had the merch to match. But where is the merch? Like, but why like, is it not available? I think, Megan, it's sold out. Like, How instantly. How did I miss it? I, I, I remember going to look, and I was embarrassed that I was looking at the camo merch. I didn't even – I literally missed it. <laughs> but I, I've not seen any fans in it. No, I think it was, like – literally a limited run they only made like five five maybe yeah five sweatshirts like it came out and then I went online and I was like let's just look or like it popped up somewhere like f1 twitter I don't know it popped up the link popped up and I'm like sold out how many did you make five I'm literally writing a message to Valtteri Botas like (laughs) I'm pissed Give me what us <laughs> Americans want. More camo merch. More. <laughs> Enough. Enough. Oh my gosh. Okay, thoughts. Is this <laughs> Alfa Romeo's long game to not only get the Chinese market by having Guan Yu Zhao, but also the American market with camo? I don't Haas? know. They, uh, <laughs> could you, you step- Haas in camo? Haas, you better step your game up. <laughs> You're an American team. Where's the camo merch? Where's the camo? Where's the red, white, and blue? They've you got the red, white, and blue. That's how, I think that's how Haas breaks into the, like, NASCAR. 
Is camo? Is camo. I don't know. I just like, I don't love camo. But I like that like military Arctic camo. <laughs> like, like secret agent shit. Secret agent. It reminds me of like a James Bond. Like I believe he is like in that outfit, in that camo outfit in one of the movies. It, honestly, it reminded me of Inception when they're like in the third dream and they're in the like the snow section. All right, we are. I don't even know where we are this morning, but we're gonna. I think we should get on track. Um, What's if, more embarrassing is that we've talked more about the camo livery on this episode than we did when we like did our beginning of the year talk yeah. about it. Like we, I don't even know if we even mentioned it. I'm sure we mentioned it, but here we are reminiscing on it, and we miss it so much. I miss it. Just imagine. That showing up in Monaco. That would have been, I, I, we have not seen a special livery yet this year. We saw that pink one at the we beginning. Saw the pink Alpine, yeah. I want, give me, give me a special livery. Give I me the want white it. Red Bull. White, no, I want the white Red Bull. I don't know why they aren't white Red Bulls. That was I, so sexy. That was the sexiest thing I think I've ever seen next to the golf livery nothing will top the golf livery i feel like we should like one race it should be like red bull goes white mercedes goes black alfa romeo goes hidden 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 can't see it but the tires (laughs) (laughs) and we're done check please i'm done recording today Yep, that's that's all you're getting. You can go research Alfa Romeo on your own. <laughs> like, you know how to use Wikipedia. Google, Google it. We're done. We put put. This is the icing on the cake. This is the birthday candle in the cupcake. We are out. This is all the content we have for you. Yep. Here we go. That's all. Juan Yu Zhao. Never heard of him. Couldn't tell you anything about him. <laughs> Valtteri Botas, that naked Finn. Isn't he a hockey player? <laughs> okay, you have got to okay, kick us off. Now I'm going to kick I'm, us off. No, I'm going to get started. I'm going to get started. Okay. So, as always, Megan and I have selected a driver. She was desperate for Valtteri, so I let her have him. Um, and I took Guan Yu Zhao who is the first Chinese full-time driver in Formula One, um, which is huge. And before I jump into him, I do have to address the little, um, the moment where, you know, some people don't think that he was the right choice. Um, Some people think that he was only picked because of the sponsorship money he can bring in from China. Uh, Now that I've learned a little bit more about his background and his racing, like, He's put in his time. He's put in his work. A lot of people put in their time and their work to get to where they are. Uh, But I was impressed on his first ever drive. I've been decently impressed by how well he's done this year so far. So um, I want to just talk a little bit more about obviously how he got started and let you guys choose how you feel about Guan Yu Zhao as now a Formula One driver. He started, um, he actually, this is the cool thing too that I wanted to note. 
At the age of five, he attended the Chinese Grand Prix and cheered on his hero, Fernando Alonso. So that's kind of, um, I was like, I read that and I had to do a double take because I'm like, Fernando Alonso, like out of all the all the great drivers that were in 2005, like, I don't know, I just never would have thought like, Guan Yu would go for Fernando, but that's his hero, Fernando Alonso. So now he's driving with him. And he soon got involved in karting a couple years later at the age of eight. Um, and the family moved to Sheffield, England in 2012 for the more competitive racing environment. So they've moved together as a family unit. I know Megan and I have also like talked about that, where sometimes it's just the driver that moves, but luckily the whole family was able to move with him. In karting, he found success and many wins. He took second place in the Rotas Max Senior Euro Challenge and participated in the YSK Champions Cup along with the KF2 European Championship. I feel like, Megan, one time we need to do a deep dive on just karting um, and, like, talk about some of these championships at some point because they're, there's a lot of them. And so we could we could clear up some of that. A gazillion, it feels like there's a gazillion, and every time you research a driver, they've won different ones, and I don't... Yeah. I'm, I'll be transparent. I don't know how they all interact. Me either. And, like, I, I'm about to mention this. Um, he made a one-time appearance in the Karting World Championship. He drove for Ricky Flynn Motorsport alongside Lando Norris. So, like, we almost need to do a map on, like, a timeline of, like, who carded with each other when and what championships. No, I like that idea. Yeah, we'll do that in our spare time between midnight and 4 a.m. one night. <laughs> so um, back to Guan Yu. He moved up to Formula 4, joining the Prima Power team for the 2015 Italian F4 championship. And after winning all three races in round two at Monza, and consistently finishing on the podium, he ended the season as the vice champion and the best rookie of the year. Um, he's won a lot of the best rookie awards, and being our only rookie this year, he will probably take that award as well. After Formula 4, he moved up to Formula 3 for three years, so he spent three years in Formula 3 and three years in Formula 2. For Formula 3, he joined the team Motor, po Motor Park in 2016, he took two podiums to start the season, but really struggled to find the pace. So he ended the season 13th. Um, the next year, he moved to the Prima team and improved to eighth in the standings with five podiums. So, like, again, like, I'll be transparent as well. I need to do a little bit more research on karting as a whole, but was taking plenty of podiums and showing what he could do. Um, in 2018, there were some rumors that he was going to make the jump to F2, but he decided to spend another year in F3 with Prima. He took three consecutive podiums in Zandvoort and finished the season again in eighth with three poles and two wins. In December of 2018, Guan Yu signed with UNI Virtuoso Racing alongside Luca Giotto to compete in the 2019 Formula 2 championship. So that's when he moved up. And he finished seventh in the championship and was awarded the um, Antoine Hubert Award for the highest finishing rookie. He chose to stay with the team for the next season, so 2019 and 2020, uh, with teammate Callum Elliott, and received six podiums and finished sixth in the championship. 
So in 2021, he entered his third season of F2, finished third in the championship, took four wins. Um, and then in the off season, he also competed in the F3 Asian Championship and drove for Abu Dhabi Racing by Prima and did decently well. Um, so kind of in that period before signing with F1, there's a lot of different, um, let me just race wherever I can and try to show what I can do and get a seat. Um, and he actually joined the Ferrari Driving Driver Academy way back when he was still in karts in 2014. So had that support of Ferrari throughout karting. And he stayed with Ferrari until 2018. And in 2019, he joined Renault Sport Academy, serving as both the development driver for the Renault team and then was promoted to test driver. He made his very first F1 race weekend debut for Alpine during the first practice session of the 2021 Austrian Grand Prix. Um, I remember that. I remember them announcing that, and it was a big deal. He's, you know, the first, now he's the first full-time Chinese driver. And so um, anytime I knew, think about like, I like to think about it in the perspective of if we ever had an American F1 driver, you're opening a new door to a new country that can get involved and we've had American F1 drivers one won the world driver championship yeah I'm I'm saying like if today we had someone come in again like we would reopen the door I guess reopen the door and now the country has someone to like throw their support behind like nationally um or like what's the word when you're when you've got a lot of spirit for your home country nationalism nationalism like like you have that spirit of oh he's an american like we're gonna support him like that's what i'm saying like what has happened in china of now we have this support from another country sorry if that was a little confusing um, and then in 2022, obviously, he signed with Alfa Romeo, partnering with Valtteri. He picked number 24 after Kobe Bryant, rest in peace. Um, and on his debut, he qualified 15th and recovered to 10th, earning his first F1 point. So again, haven't necessarily been disappointed. Um, he's done much better than I thought he was going to do. He's doing much better than our rookies did last year. Um, so yeah, that's Guan Yu Zhao. Not not a ton of information, you know, out in the world about him yet. He's still um, coming into his own in Formula One. Uh, but I do love his um, – he's a little fashionista like Lewis Hamilton. So he's always rocking some good fits in the paddock. Okay, that takes us to BB, our naked Finn. Um, I'm, like, pumped to talk about him. I – for a while, when I first started following the sport, didn't love him. I don't really know why. I think it's because I didn't know anything about him. And my lack of knowledge prevented me from liking him. And now that I've read a ton about him over the last couple of weeks, but also because you could see his personality finally show last year on TikTok. I know I'm just complimenting TikTok, but finally getting that little bit of like personality and I think ever since he decided to make the move to Alfa Romeo, he kind of came into his own. And I've loved watching that and I've loved learning about him. And I find him absolutely fascinating. 
Um, so before we drop into like his whole story, I just have some interesting kind of like tidbits about BB. So the man has 67 podiums and 10 race wins. So anytime anyone kind of like bashes him, I'm like, no, fuck off. The man has credits behind his name. He also has those 67 podiums and 10 race wins. Not all of those podiums, but a lot of them while partnering with Lewis Hamilton in Lewis Hamilton's like prime. So that is impressive. He contributed heavily, heavily to Mercedes being able to win the constructors in 17, 18, 19, 20, and 21. So you got to give the man some credit. Anyone who hates on him should just not, not. But what I found fascinating while researching VB is that the man also served in the Finnish army. Like I like that is just a fact that I must have missed. But Finland is one of several countries that is compulsory national military service. And so everyone over the age of 18 has to serve a set amount of times. It's either like 165, 255 or 347 days. Um, I don't know what determines what you serve. Um, but VB actually completed his service in the Finnish army before he was in F1. And he currently, or I guess like not currently, but formally holds the rank corporal. I'm not exactly sure if you keep that title for life. I think you kind of do. Um, and during his service, he was actually voted top soldier by his group. So I love that. That, uh, that does not surprise me at all. Like, of course he was top soldier. Doesn't surprise me at all. And I think a lot of that military service contributed to his ability to be a leader now. But it's also his like Finnish mentality that has been mentioned a couple of times in my research that like reserved, diligent, calm. He is just like a presence and he doesn't really get ruffled unless things are really awful. And I think that's really served him well in F1. Um, and the last two quick notes before we jump in is he I think this is mentioned multiple times. Like I said, in some of the articles I was reading about him and his like rise through F1. But he like honed his craft on like the icy, snowy roads of Finland and where you got to kind of like save your shit every once in a while when you hit a patch of ice, I guess. Um, and I did read a story about how the kid, the kid, the man, I don't know, he was a kid at the time, drove his snowmobile to school at the age of 12. That sounds awfully like um, we walked to school uphill both ways in the snow. I rode my snowmobile to school, you know. He's a prankster, I guess. Or he was a prankster. I think he's a little mischievous. I hope he's a little. I know he's a little mischievous. Have you seen his, the TikToks? He's a little. He's naked in a Colorado river. Of course he's <laughs> mischievous. Sorry. I don't even he's know why. Cheeky. I, he's cheeky. He's um, cheeky. Okay. So VB got his start in karting at the age of six. He actually karted from 1996 to 2006. So during those 10 years, he actually, he actually spent seven years in Finland's national karting squad. In 2006, he won three karting titles, which prompted his move to single-seaters. Thus, we get to 2008. He spends time in Formula Renault 2.0, where he's the series champion. He has 12 wins. Then he's in the Formula Renault 2.0 Euro Cup. Again, he's the se series champion. He has five wins. So immediately setting off into single-seaters and within two years, finding success. In 2009 and 2010, he actually participated in a race called the Masters of Formula 3, which, is which used to be held annually at... 
usually at um, Zandvoort. It was last held in 2016, I believe. But VB participated in that in 2009 and 2010. He, and he won both of those years. He was the first and the only driver to win the title twice, much less back-to-back. For some context, that is like a, a one-time or a one-race each year for Formula 3 champions. And it's won by people. It's been won by Lewis Hamilton in 2005. It was run by Nico Hulkenberg in 2007, more recently by Max Verstappen in 2014, and then Italian Jesus in 2015. So um, I thought that was interesting. It was kind of a cool race that I'd actually never heard about until now. In 2000 or 2010, he was also a Williams test driver where he spent a lot of that time learning about like how the car was built and how an F1 team works. And he really enjoyed it because VB actually spent like if you go way back um, to when he wasn't making money, he was actually working as a car mechanic in Finland. So I think there's always been that like natural desire to understand and understand the mechanics and the engineering, which, of course, informs his ability to like drive the car. In 2010, he becomes the Williams test driver. He is also the GP3 Series champion. And then in 2012, he gets promoted to the Williams Reserve driver, where he participated in 15 practice sessions in Bruno Senna's car. Interesting to note here is that in 2012, he elected not to participate in Formula Renault 3.5. He was offered a position, but he denied it. um, Which was kind of a risky move to deny like that ability to race and to said. I'm going to work and focus on being a part of practice sessions for Williams. Ultimately, it would pay off because in 2013, he would have his debut for Williams. Unfortunately, that year, he had little chance to really show off. The car really lacked pace. His best result was P8 at the Circuit of the Americas, but he consistently outperformed his teammate, Pastor Maldonado, who left at the end of that season. If you don't know about that guy, look him up. I'm not going to go into the details now. Then he spent from 2013 to 2015, he spent time at Williams before in 2017, he moved to Mercedes. That move to Mercedes happened because of Nico Rosberg's like surprise retirement after he won the world championship and VB was promoted. It was his consistent. It was 100% his consistency, his ability to find points and podiums, even when the car wasn't where it needed to be. Thus 2017, he's in the Merc. He's partnered with Lewis Hamilton And he gets 13 podiums. He has three wins that year. His first win at the 2017 Russian Grand Prix. Until this win, he held the record for the most career points without a win. And it was a record that he resented. It's kind of a fucking awful record. It's kind of the worst thing ever. The most starts and the most points without a win. Not the most starts, the most points without a win. Yeah. Currently, you know who holds that record, Katie? Carlos Sainz. And then I think Lando Norris is right behind him. I believe you're right. I genuinely need both of them to win Grand Prix this year because they need to. VB also, while we're talking about this, I was going to mention it later, but he currently is the record holder for the most career points without a world championship. And that is another awful record. Yeah, that's another not so pretty one. 
I think he would want if he was at Mercedes and didn't and Lewis Hamilton wasn't there, he would have won a World Series. A World Series? What the hell is a this? Baseball? <laughs> yeah, what? I'm offended <laughs> by myself. I am so sorry. Oh my goodness. I am so sorry, people. Oh, I I <laughs> I need to go repent for that in I'm watching an I'm gonna go back and force myself to watch Spa as penance for this from twenty twenty one. Oh my lord, I'm so embarrassed. Okay, nonetheless, BB is currently that leader. Like I said, he totally would have won. Oh, I have to do penance today. Um, 2017. So, like I said, he had his first win at the Russian Grand Prix, and then he also wins in Austria and Abu Dhabi that year. Then in 2018, he's again still with Mercedes, as we know. But this was his worst season ever. He really struggled in 2018. Um, he had zero wins to Lewis Hamilton's 11. Look, sounds horrible, right, when you compare it to his first year with Mercedes. But 2018 Lewis Hamilton, unstoppable, in my opinion. So I don't really know how fair of that performance is to, you know, you can't really be like, well, it was a really bad year for you. Well, maybe it was just a really great year for Lewis. It was. Um, 2019, again, with Mercedes, he has four wins, Azerbaijan, Japan, USA, and Australia. I, 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 I'm kind of like trying to internally manifest him winning Baku because he hasn't won since 2019 there. I don't know. 2019, okay. he was P2 in the drivers. 2020, he was also P2 in the drivers. Um, he had two wins again there um, in 2020 at the Russia and Austria. And then in 2021, he was again still at Mercedes. It was his last year at Mercedes before the move to Alfa Romeo, and he took one win there at the Turkish Grand Prix. So let's talk about the move to Alfa Romeo. At the end of last year, or the middle-ish of last year, it was announced that Valtteri Bottas will be moving to Alfa Romeo. This was a move that we we didn't – we could see the writing on the wall. We knew that George Russell was going to get that second seat. VB was not happy that he was only getting one year deals. Alfa Romeo offered him the ability to be a leader on the team, ability to be the number one driver. And so he signed a multi-year deal with Alfa Romeo and team principal Fred Drick Vassar spoke out pretty openly. I mean, he's very honest about the fact that like, Valtteri, he knew that Valtteri was going to be able to excel outside of the like shadow of Lewis Hamilton. And look, I'm a Merck stan. I love Lewis Hamilton, but I completely understand what he's saying here. Like this is not a slam on Mercedes at all. Like he, Valtteri deserved and had the skills to be a team leader. And he's showing that this year. Um, Valtteri was just recently like quoted in an interview talking about the move to Alfa Romeo saying, I've been in a happy place in a way that I can really try and be the best version of myself and drive the way I want to drive. And then he went on to say like the atmosphere and the team is so motivating, like the people, how much they're now trying is really inspiring to me as well. So these like two quotes just show me how happy he is at Alfa Romeo and show me how like this move was one that was, purely for him to like love driving again not that he didn't love it at mercedes but like love it in a different context um and we've seen him really shine hell he's gone wheel to wheel with both lewis hamilton and george russell this year and he's, he's hell yeah hell yeah 
He's thriving. He's thriving. Um, the only thing I am sad to see that happened this year was that at um, Australia, he did fail to make it to Q3. So he um, ended his streak. He was at 103 consecutive Q3 appearances, which he was almost able to beat um, Elaine Prost, who had 109. He was hoping to make it to Montreal, but didn't happen. Um, outside of all of the Formula One stuff, VB has like a personality now. Yeah. I mean, I think he's, he's like, always had one, but he's like a character. Like, I love seeing his updates. Like, what's he up to this weekend? I feel like he's one of my first personal friends, even though he's not. I mean, look, I, uh, I like to bike a little bit, like, you know, under seven miles a day. If I'm going to oh go my for God. a bike ride on flat terrain, but I'd attempt to bike up a mountain to hang out with VB. I just had a memory, a core memory of you. We were at our elementary school on our bikes. We were young. And the handlebar broke off the bike. Do you remember that? And you were like waving it around. Yes, I do remember that. All right, good. I would, I would ride a bike with the handlebars unattached to hang out with Valtteri. There, I said it. All right, you said um, it. But yeah, we've been talking about biking, but... He is super into cycling, thanks to his current partner, Tiffany Cromwell, who is an Australian cyclist. They started dating in February of 2020. And I normally don't talk about the driver's personal lives on here when we talk about them, but I fucking love them together. I'm sorry I just yelled. <laughs> I'm sorry if that was really loud for everybody. Oh, my but God. I love them. Oh, my God. They're- I've not seen that much emotion out of her in, like, weeks. <laughs> I just love them together. I don't know. I think she's so cool. I like creepily, not creepy. It's the internet. It's social media. I look at her social media. It's awesome. They're just so cool together. I think she's so supportive. She's always at the races. Um, She's designed some of his helmets. Um, So yeah, he cycles. He's also a hockey fan. He played hockey in his past and he supports the Finland national team. We saw him celebrating after the Monaco win last weekend. He's super, super into coffee. He even participated in like a coffee tasting, but he co-owns a coffee rotisserie in Finland. And then on top of all of that, he enjoys naked sauning. I know you have to sauna (laughs) naked, but I'm just mentioning naked sauning and posing naked in any body of water (laughs) that is near and available. (laughs) See his charity picture. I also am going to add here that him and Lewis are friends. So Mm -hmm. all of the bad blood is just not real. Him and Lewis go on planes together to races. They went to Bahrain together, I think. Or was it Saudi? I don't know. It might have been both. BB gave him his naked butt photo. Like, you know, which we called. We called that. I went back. We did say that Valtteri was going to gift Lewis and we called it. The next thing we need is just the read receipts to make sure Lewis hung it in his bathroom. That's all we need. I'll send him a message as well. Hey, hey, by chance, did you ever get around to hanging up that picture of Valtteri's ass in the water? If so, can you send me a pic of where it's hanging? If he responded and was like, in my Colorado home bathroom, I will literally just like, I'm going to become a, I'm going to become a psychic. No, I don't think it's a psychic. (laughs) Isn't it clear? 
You can predict the future. Clairvoyant. Raven. I'm clairvoyant. Okay. That's so Raven. <laughs> That's so Raven. It's ra- okay. future. I Moving can see. Moving on. This, this okay. episode is falling apart quickly. I'm so sorry, everybody. It quickly. Okay. Let's get into the history then. Okay. Let's start with Alfa Romeo itself. Um, it's an Italian luxury car manufacturer that was founded way back in 1910 in Milan, Italy. Milan has a special place in my heart, so I'm a big Alfa Romeo stan now. Um, it started as just Alfa after Ugo Stella and some other anonymous investors took assets of a, another Italian car manufacturer. It's called Dirac, and they kind of um, they took the assets and then turned it into Alpha. And then eventually the name changed to Alpha Romeo back in 1920, so about 10 years after the creation. They have been involved in car racing since 1911, so just the year after they started. And their first racing car was made in 1913, three years after the foundation of the company. They have successfully competed in Grand Prix motor racing, Formula One, sports car racing, touring car racing, and rallies. Uh, They've competed as both a constructor and an engine supplier sporadically between 1950 and 1987. They were a commercial partner in 2015. And then um, outside of, you know, the Formula One that we quote-unquote no today alfa romeo won the inaugural world championship for grand prix racing in 1925 so they've had this rich history this start of being involved in motorsport and creating both engines and cars to compete the formula one championship began in 1950 after the second world war and the introduction of this new single-seater formula car was very warmly welcomed by Alfa Romeo as they already kind of had the perfect car for it. It was the Tipo 158 Alfetta, 158 Alfetta. Sorry, my numbers, I struggle reading them. Um, it was known as the Alfetta, like I just said, or Little Alpha. Um, and it's one of the most successful car- racing cars ever produced. The 158 and its successor, the 159, took 47 wins from the 54 Grand Prix that they've entered. So um, it was originally developed for pre-World War II Vorturet formula, Vortre formula, sorry, not 100% sure, not 100% confident on that word. Um, But following the war, the car was then eligible for this new Formula One that was introduced. And so the car's name refers to its 1.5 liter engine and eight cylinders, and the 158 was eligible for this brand new championship of drivers. It won every race in which it competed in that first season of Formula One. And Alfa Romeo actually took the first two championship wins with Giuseppe or Nino Farina, in 1950 and Juan Manuel Fangio in 1951 so they are literally the start of Formula One racing history uh, which is incredible and fun fact this is my fun fact of the day Enzo Ferrari actually founded Scuderia Ferrari racing team in 1929 as an Alfa Romeo racing team before becoming independent in 1939 so Ferrari is originally Alfa Romeo and now 
you know, now we know that Alfa Romeo is quote unquote the B team of Ferrari. Um, but I wanted to throw that out there because I thought that was cool. After the successes of Farina and Fangio, Alfa Romeo withdrew from Formula One. Um, in 1952, they faced increasing competition from their former employee Ferrari. And Alfa Romeo was actually a state-owned company. The um, Italy, the government, like, saved the company but refused to fund the new expensive design of the car to replace this, the 158, the 13-year workhorse. And so they just fell behind. They didn't have a new car to compete. Um, at this point, technology had picked up and Alfa Romeo – had a very thin budget. Um, it was using mostly like pre-war technology and materials from before the war for those two seasons. So crazy how much they were able to accomplish, especially in, you know, post-war times. During the 1960s, um, they had no official presence in the top tier of motorsport, but several Formula One teams used independently independently developed Alfa Romeo engines to power their cars. So they remained in the engine game um, kind of in their off time. And then the Alfa Romeo logo finally returned to F1 in 2015, first appearing on the Ferrari cars. And then in 2017, Alfa Romeo announced that they would be the title sponsors for Sauber in 2018. So um, started to remake their appearance and then started to move towards the title sponsor until they eventually um, officially returned to the sport when Sauber was renamed at the beginning of 2019. So the ownership, the Swiss racing license, and the management structure would remain unchanged from Sauber. They still race under um, that Swiss license, but now we know them as Alfa Romeo today. And then I wanted to talk just a little bit about the drivers and where they've been in the last few years um, before we jump into kind of where they are now in 2022. Um, in 2018, they had drivers Marcus Erickson and Charles Leclerc. So Charles Leclerc got his start in Sauber slash Alfa Romeo. Um, again, it's always kind of been the B team for Ferrari. So then he moved up to Ferrari in 2019 he was both of the drivers were replaced with Kimi Raikkonen and Antonio Giovinazzi, who raced for Alfa Romeo in 2019, 2020, and 2021. Um, they sat in eighth place and then ninth place. They actually did pretty decent in 2019, like points wise. They had 57 points versus eight points in 2020. Um, so, like, fell through the not fell through the rings but fell down in the points pretty hard um, and that was kind of the shift of Mercedes and Red Bull and Ferrari taking more point totals and then um, 2021 last year we both we all know Kimi Raikkonen retired so he was replaced with um, Valtteri Bottas and Guan Yu Zhao so we said goodbye to Italian Jesus as well they're currently in fifth place, which was a double take for me. I, like, knew that they were in fifth place, and I knew that they were doing really well. But when I went to fact check myself, I was like, damn, Alfa Romeo, fifth place. There they are, right there. Um, and so that's where we are. And we're going to talk a little bit about um, 
how they got to where they are and why they're making the right moves. But the only other thing that I did want to throw out there that kind of belongs in the history of Alfa Romeo was the team was actually owned by Fiat, or not the team, but the company was actually purchased by Fiat Chrysler until recently in 2021. Operations were moved were merged with those of the PSA group, which is the Peugeot manufacturer. And so on the car side, management has changed just as on the Formula One side, Sauber and management, the name has shifted as well. So lots of changes for Alfa Romeo in total, um, which I think is, you know, part of the resurgence of let's build this team back up to maybe where it once was. Nice. Yeah. Very interesting. I hi- There's so much more to both Alfa Romeo and Alfa Romeo F1. Um, I know Megan and I can't cover, you know, the whole history of every single team, but very, very, very interesting. Um, their history within the war, too. The factory switched over to, you know, make ammunition um, and provided engines to the military. So, um it's just like there's so much history, so much rich history that goes behind it. Absolutely. It was cool to read all about it. I honestly, some of the best history about Alfa Romeo is not even anything to do with the Formula One that we know. It's everything that happened between 1910 and the beginning of World War II. It's really. I found myself enjoying that part of their history way more than their Formula One history, even though they were so successful in the first two seasons. Yeah, it's I, I, I mean, Megan and I are pretty big history buffs. Um, she literally has a degree in that. history um, and I always did very well in history class. But it's just it's so intriguing to like learn about specifically I've always been super interested in World War II and so like um in World War One was when they switched like some of the original factories over uh but it's just like I don't know it I I will be looking for I don't know if it exists but I wish there was a book about Formula One and the shift of like after World War Two to then this new championship yeah, I'd also love a book just focused on the, like, 19, I think it was 33, when the state purchased them and how they were essentially folded under Ferrari's racing structure and Enzo Ferrari was put in charge of their racing team. Yeah. Nonetheless, let's talk about them in 2022. Like Katie said, they're currently... In fifth, which I, too, had to do a double, triple, quadruple, quintuple take. They have currently have 41 points, 40 of which have been scored by VB, one of which was scored by rookie Zhao. Zhao actually scored that in his opening performance as a rookie in Bahrain, which I remember, and I remember how shocked I was because I didn't rate him very well going into the year. Granted, I, I didn't we, rate Alfa Romeo very well either. <laughs> I think we all had him in 20th or 19th place in our in our rankings, in our preseason rankings. So, like, when he came out, I remember we talked about it. We were like, oops, we fudged that one. Like, 
He's still yeah. out there doing better than we thought. Well, he's definitely doing better than we thought. And Frank or Frank Frederick Vassar. Um, I was doing a ton of research just about Zhao and him becoming or that Alpha Romeo making the choice, I guess, is the research I was cr- trying to do and refresh myself on how it all happened last year. But it was interesting when I found this article and this statement from Vassar that I hadn't seen before, that his goal, like the goal that Alfa Romeo gave Zhao for his first year is to be in Q2. Like, that's your goal. Like, that is your test of are you learning, are you succeeding compared to the rest of the field? Well, I mean, he's doing pretty damn good. He's only missed out on Q2 twice in the last seven rounds one of which was Miami due to traffic issues, and the second one was Monaco. And I feel like you got to throw Monaco out, considering yeah, you do. he was about to set a fast time in Q1 before the red flag, and then he was stuck in the parking garage shit show dumpster fire <laughs> to get back out there right at the end to set a fast time. So I don't – I throw out Monaco just on pure bullshit. So that's pretty – then you look at it and you're like, okay, so out of the six times, five of them you're you're hitting your target goal. That's pretty impressive that your own team gave you. You scored points in your first outing. You know, you've been P11th twice after that. And then, you know, now we're hitting a little bump in the road with some DNFs, but that's not controllable. Yeah, and a P16 in Monaco, again, you've got to throw Monaco out. Like, that's his lowest. Amelia was P15. Um but, like, to me, Monaco doesn't count. Monaco, I would, I'm going to say something that has nothing to do with Alfa Romeo, but I'd be fine with um, not getting any points for Monaco and it just being the, like, celebratory race in the season. Um, so, yeah, I throw that out. I, I have been impressed with Guan Yu in the way he's racing and the way he carries himself in – in all of it, and um, I didn't know about that goal, the Q2 goal. Um, and so, yeah, hitting it in stride. I, I also, you have to be very careful, and I, like, there's a reason why we can compare, like, a Daniel to a Lando. They're not rookies. They've both mm-hmm. been around the sport. R- Ricardo, longer than Lando. So it's not the same to, like, compare Zhao to Valtteri it's his rookie year there's yeah. still some like even just how, that needs to happen yeah like even just how a weekend works um I remember Mick Schumacher talking about that last year like it takes the first three weekends to even really like know where everything is and what's going on and this and that and like we saw it with Yuki getting into a training routine and a new regiment. Like your rookie year is your rookie year. That's why they call it your rookie year. Like it's all that can I perform well under pressure and can I mesh and zhuzh with the team and with the sport and it's your trial period. So yeah, I would definitely like conclusion of Zhao, it would be I think they made the right choice there. So I, I guess Kate, what Katie and I wanted to talk about today is like, you know, are Alfa Romeo on the on the path back? You know, are they making the right moves that they need to be making to find success? And in terms of bringing on Zhao as a rookie driver, I say 
as of right now, this moment in time, I think yes. I don't think we've seen the best from him, and I expect another points, another one or two, maybe three points. Maybe not three. I say one or two. One or two. One or two. Points, more points for him. Yeah. What do you think? I, I would agree. Um, again, I think we had no really idea, like, what he was going to give us. And I was – I remember being thoroughly impressed after the first race of the season um, and almost in a little bit of shock. So he came out. He proved everybody wrong. And – I'm excited to see what he can do now that we are further into the season. Like, I'll be very intrigued to compare end of season Guan Yu to right now Guan Yu. Yeah, we should make a note to make sure we do that at our end of... We should do that at, like, the mid-season break and the end Mm -hmm. of the year. Yeah, check in on him and his status. Okay, next up. In our, like, let's see, you know, where Alfa Romeo are, is do we think, was Botas the right move? I feel Power like this move. is a stupid question to ask. Power move of the century. Yeah. I think this was a stunner. Like, this was Vassar's little He knows what move. he's doing. Yeah. This was, like, the chess move to end all chess moves of the silly season. I mean, he literally, so I did, again, more research. <laughs> I love reading interviews because I think it gives a different perspective. Sorry. This is just so, and I also love Fred, Va- like Frederick Vassar. Like, we have not talked about it. The man is a character. I character. love him. When him and Gunther hang out, I'm like, Ooh, oh, it's a my moment. God. It's a Wait. moment. I saw the, was it him? Hold on. Let me see if I can find it really quick. It was the cutest photo. I'm pretty sure I saved it. Please. Hold oh, it was Mattia. It was Mattia. Damn it. So never mind. But it was like baby Gunther, baby um, Mattia, and then a picture of them from this year with their like speckled gray hair and like so cute. I'll send it to you. We love that moment for them. But Frederick Vassar, he said that he'd yeah, been sorry. friends with VB for like 15 years. Not surprising. The paddock seems to be pretty small at the end of the day. And really, like, he, he saw it in him. He saw and he was convinced that, you know, without someone like Lewis Hamilton as a partner, that VB would shine. You know, he'd be a team leader and he would be able to, like, step into that role and fuck, he's done it. Like, Frederick nailed the sales pitch to Valtteri. Like, hey, come be on my team. You can be the leader. You can be the powerhouse. You can steer us in the direction that we need to be steered. And guess what? You get to be driver number one. I hate that For, phrase, but you're right. I know. I'm sorry, <laughs> but it it's... I'm right. Like, you aren't wrong. Yeah. It's, it's, I hate the driver one and two, but like, he is driver number one, especially with a rookie. Like, you're there and you get to be a mentor. Yeah. Like, sales pitch of the year. I mean, yeah. 
And then, you know, on top of that, BB like nailed the assignment. Like he nailed the assignment. He was P6 in Bahrain, P8 in Australia. That's where he lost his Q3 streak. He was P5 in Emilia Romagna. They brought mm-hmm. that was their best result so far this year. Botas was fucking chasing the man who took his spot, George Russell. Throughout this year, I've loved, 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 loved. every time that Valtteri has outqualified a Mercedes, outperformed a Mercedes. Like anytime, it's like the internet is like, yes, celebration. And I'm like, I love that. I love that he has fans like that and i love that people are like damn you're proving mercedes that look i get what they were doing i'm not i'm not hating on mercedes at all like i get why they are looking you know why they only wanted one year contracts i get why they moved to george russell i understand all the chess in it but i do love that like this year valtteri was like he wasn't like resigned to be like look i'm gonna go to alfa romeo and i'm just gonna like retire my way out he was like no i'm going and i'm showing up like Amelia P five, it showed it proved or I guess showed that the development in the car was and the performance coming out of that car was just like not a fluke. It was like legitimate pace, um, which we knew that the car had pace earlier than Amelia Romagna, but it was like dang. Then they upgraded there. They upgraded before Miami. It was P seven. Then another P six in Spain. He even got points in Monaco. Like I, I, I think. He nailed the assignment. Yeah. And I think um, the one thing about Valtteri is, and you're, you're right, maybe it goes back to his military days of being in a team and being a leader, but he is a team player at the end of the day. He is a <laughs> team player at the end of the day. He is not only just there for himself, but he's there for the team. And I think that shows he's probably one of the best drivers that shows that i mean for years for years years he literally was the guy that when mercedes said james or valtteri it's james we'd like to invert the cars and he complied yeah not all the time did he do it willingly but he did that shows he cares about he's very much team first and I, I just think that that shows. I mean, there's been a lot coming out about how, you know, he's been a motivation on the team. He's a positive presence. He really wants to lift everybody up and knows that, like, without everybody in the team working towards the end result, you're not going to make it there. And that that might no. be something that he's taken from his Mercedes days. I wouldn't be surprised because that very much seems to be from the outside you know, some of the mentality of individuals at Mercedes. I wouldn't say it might I'm not going to say full stop. It's everybody's mentality. But I think that is a little bit of the, the kind of, you know, each cog in the machine has to be functioning or the end result is not positive. So power move by Alfa Romeo. Power move. I don't have any other way to say it other than that was like the – Again, best chess move of the silly season. It was a great checkmate moment. Yeah, huge. And, like, just proving weekend after weekend that he deserves to be in F1. He deserves to be in seat number one. He deserves to be 
where he is now. And I'm just like so happy for him too. Like at the end of the day, I'm just like, I don't, when he was on Mercedes, I would go to bed and I would be like, oh, Valtteri, like so sad for him. Like he's stuck behind the greatest of all time. Like, you know, all of this. And now I go to bed and I'm like, Valtteri's happy. He's at Alfa Romeo. <laughs> That's so weird. I can, I can sleep now. Yeah. They keep me up at night. Don't worry. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> um. Okay. Lastly, we need to talk quickly, quickly, quickly about the 2022 car. Um, we talked about the livery to open up the season. We saw it in preseason testing that they were finding some pace. There was little snafus in the beginning, but I mean, there was some clear indication that they were going to be um, a presence on the grid. And then they brought upgrades to both Emilia Romagna and Imola and Barcelona, which have definitely helped with performance, are able to keep them in the mix, fighting to be, you know, the best of the rest. Um, They are in P5 right now. In P4 is McLaren. And then I think they're three points ahead of Alpine, if I did math right. But I also am really Um, bad at math. Um, I have it up. So there is definitely still some fight in the midfield. I hate to say it, but, you know, I do. I I would love to see Alfa Romeo take it to McLaren. Yeah. One point ahead of Alpine and. Wow. My math was wrong. (laughs) uh, About 20 points behind McLaren. About. I mean, they could. I mean, Maybe. McLaren has a shit weekend, and Alfa Romeo does well. They could be. They could take the fight. I mean, we're so early in the season. We'll see what happens. A big thing is what is going to happen with development. Um, we do know that their financial situation is better than it has been in previous years. They've been getting more sponsorship reach out. They've been getting much more airtime this year. If you like, anecdotally, I've kind of noticed that. I can't prove that with any numbers or stats but i see them a lot more i see Mm -hmm. they're talking about alfa romeo a lot more um and i think that all comes back to the fact that they've decided it they've brought on or they made the decision to bring in like a proven race winner not that kimmy raikkonen is clearly a proven race winner too but you know what i mean like a younger proven race winner who's got some more years in him and a rookie with that has the ability to have significant sponsorship backing. Not that I think that's the only reason that he was brought on, but it was definitely part of the equation. We all know it was part of the equation. And then I did just put all together the other day, but the reserve driver, Robert Kibitza, his biggest backer is Orlin. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I definitely think that, you know, they have a much better financial situation, but Vassar has been very honest that it, at one stage, like they will struggle with development and the cost cap. What, when that is going to be, I'm not sure, but we'll see how it, how it kind of transpires from here on. Now there's been a lot of conversation about the budget impacting development in the later parts of the season. And I'll be, I get it. Yeah. I'll be very, I'll be very, very, very intrigued to see if it seems to hit for everybody at the same time. Or if it's like one team this weekend, one team another weekend. Like I'm, 
I'm very intrigued to see how the budget plays out this year. Exactly. Especially because we really have no true indication of what they've spent. Because no. the rumor wheel is just... At one point, they were like, Red Bull's at 78%. And we're like, apparently they're only at 17%. So we'll have to see how it all transpires out here over you know the next couple of months. If any of these teams take some major... I mean, a couple of really shit crash weekends, like Haas is having, has had with Schumacher, and that will take a massive ding on the budget. Yeah, massive. All right. Time to talk about why to be a fangirly of Alfa Romeo. Megan, you want to kick us off? You could also be a fanboy. You could also be a fanboy. I say fangirly as like, we're all fangirlies at heart. Everyone fangirlies over something. Whether, whatever you, whatever you are, you fangirly. <laughs> true, 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 true. Well, that's perfect. Because number one is Valtteri Bottas. <laughs> uh, you can't not love BB. Like, I love that he loves coffee, hockey. He's naked in a river. How many more times can I mention that Valtteri likes to be naked? Like, Maybe two or three. Naked, naked, naked. Valtteri Botas. Love it. Uh, full stop, uh, period. End of statement on Full Valtteri. stop, period. End of statement. Um, why be a fangirl? I just can't get over this partnership. And I know they're no longer with us, but <laughs> they're, they're still alive. Don't worry. <laughs> um, now they're racing NASCAR and racing Formula E, so whatever. But it's the Iceman and Italian Jesus. They were the power duo of Alfa Romeo for three years strong. And um, obviously we had some retirement and we had some je ne sais pas of goodbye <laughs> Italian Jesus. And um, yeah, but we can't forget them and we love them. And I would love, I know, we know they're friends, so I would love to see them do like a duo race sometime in the future. I'm also still waiting for the photos of when they went and visited freaky Antonio in Italy. In Italy. You, like, Kimmy, you promised your children you could go see him in Italy. I want to see that you're in Italy. Uh, that, vi- it's okay. that video, that video, like, makes me misty. I love it so much. I get, oh, I love it. it. It's, well, we're going to go see him in Italy. My heart broke. I loved it so broke. So much. Uh, hopefully, Katie and I can find a way to make it to Watkins Glen to actually see the Iceman in action in August. Uh, we'll try to fit that into the schedule this year. The schedule. Between midnight and 4 a.m., I'll plan that <laughs> trip, too. Fucker. Um, okay, so this story is, I'm really embarrassed to admit this. I'll be honest. But I didn't realize there was a shamrock on the Alfa Romeo livery until mm, this week. Yeah. And when she said that to me, I'm like, really? And, like, I'm embarrassed to admit that I've seen it all along and I've never once wondered why it was there. Okay, I've once wondered, but I never followed up on it. Okay, that doesn't make me feel as bad. I don't know how I didn't recognize or put two and two together that there was a four-leaf clover, like the most Irish thing, on an Italian car brand's Formula One car. I don't know. 
nonetheless, I noticed it. And then, of course, I had to do some digging because I was like, what I need to I need to understand. Someone needs to connect the dots here. So I'm choosing that one of the reasons you have to fangirl is because the shamrock story. Or in the Italian word, the quadrifoglio story. That's Italian for four leaf clover. So in 1923, there was a legendary Alfa Romeo race car driver, Ugo Savocci, who wanted to break like a string of second place finishes. He wanted to, he wanted P1. He wanted P1 for a chance. So ahead of the historic Targa Fiorio race in Italy, which is like a legendary endurance race in the mountains of Sicily that doesn't race anymore. I think the last year was like 1976. Um, but ahead of that race, he painted a white square with a quadrifolio, which is a four-leaf clover, on the front of his Alfa Romeo RL. He finished first place with Alberto Ascari finishing P2. And this was, like, kind of the, the start of, like, their motor success. Like, really great motorsport racing success in the early years. However, unfortunately and tragically, after the race, a couple of weeks later, he was testing a new car at the Monza circuit that... And the car didn't have the four-leaf clover, the quadrifolio painted on it. When so he tragically lost his life in a in an accident, and the legend was born. So all future Alfa Romeo race cars would feature the quadrifolio on the white triangle. They went from a square to a triangle because one corner. This makes me kind of like misty. One corner missing to symbolize the loss of Savacci. Um, and so today it's still like a symbol of a, like a race worthy capabilities and a symbol of good luck and Alfa Romeo, the, the street car, you know, the, the ones that we can actually buy and drive. Um, they have a quadrifolio. They have two of them and that's their like top of the line sports car. I actually fangirl over the Julia quadrifolio. Did I spend a lot of time designing my own on the Alfa Romeo website this week? Yes, I did. She has too much time. I don't know like where she finds all the time. To, I think Megan was allotted more time in life than I was allotted in on a daily basis. Like, I'm always so impressed by how much you get done and how I much like don't sleep. I legitimately did not sleep last night. Midnight and 4 a.m. We were working on some projects. <laughs> I was designing my Alfa Romeo, <laughs> which I cannot afford. <laughs> All right. And the last reason why you should be a fan boy or girly is we can be bandwagon fans. Simple as that. We love Alfa Romeo. We can support them. We can cheer them on. Um, we've got... Um, Zhao, who made the radio comment, I need new pants after that. We've got Valtteri's naked ass. We've got the camera livery. We've got a cool car company. We can bandwagon this team, everybody. We're making it happen. Also, if you haven't watched the Zhao save in Monaco, where he like almost went into the wall and then ran through the chicane. Yeah. And he said, I need new pants after that. Like, you need to. I'm sorry. That is your assignment of... The week. Go watch the video. If you don't have it, let us know. If you can't Google, let us know. We'll send it to you. It's chef's kiss. Chef's kiss. Up next is the Azerbaijan GP on Sunday, June 12th at the Baku City Circuit. It is a 51-lap race for round eight of the 2022 season. 
The first GP was held at this track in 2016 as the European GP, and 2017 saw the inaugural Azerbaijan GP. It was this epic upset with Daniel Ricciardo beating Valtteri Bottas of Mercedes and Lance Stroll of Williams. This was the race where Lewis Hamilton and Sebastian Vettel treated their cars like bumper cars behind the safety car. Uh, so that's a good one to rewatch before the weekend. Last year, the race was won by Mr. Sergio Perez after Max Verstappen retired with a tire failure and Lewis Hamilton pressed the wrong button on the restart after the red flag and drove off the track. So even they can make mistakes. <laughs> Will Checo go back to back and win Baku for a second year in a row and a second race in a row after Monaco? It would be impressive and make him a clear fighter for the title. What would Joss say? What would Joss say? If you don't, if you missed it, he was very critical of Red Bull not pulling for Max Verstappen after Monaco, which we can also send you that comment. Baku is known for a long main straight with cars that are able to go three wide into turn one. It would be wild to see Charles, Max, and Carlos or Checo going for that turn. Only time will tell. It'd be a miracle if all of four of them make it out. The back section loops around the old city and medieval city walls, and it is unforgiving as Monaco. With two DRS zones, the circuit is a balance between a setup for the long main street or the twisty tight bits. Join us next week while we break down all the action in Baku. Thank you so much for listening to another episode. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us at Dirty Driving Pot on Twitter and Instagram. Until next time, stay dirty.